Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The tides have kind of changed now where publishing has become a lot more creatively active with a lot of artists. And so many of today's huge songs are really put together by music publishers now because we essentially are the gatekeepers for all the writers and producers that are writing and producing all these massive, huge songs. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they moves, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. I am your host, Corey Cambridge. Also, be sure to keep up with my life, music, and more by following me on Instagram at, at Corey Cambridge. Today on the podcast, I'd like to introduce you guys to our special guest and friend, Jeff Giese, A&R at BMG Publishing. In this episode, Jeff shared his opinion on why publishing deals are way better than record deals for artists breaking into the music industry. Along with getting us insight into his job as a publishing A&R, he also explains his behind-the-scenes involvement in orchestrating DJ Snake's top 20 single, Middle. Without further ado, let me introduce you guys to the man of the hour, my friend, the silent giant, Jeff Kesey. All right, so, so what was your... Uh, how did you fall in love with music just in general? What was your earliest memories? Uh, my earliest memory, I would probably say, was uh, I had a yellow cassette, te- cassette tape player. And uh, I used to love this band called the Mighty Mighty Bostones. They were like a ska band. And uh, I just used to sit in my room all day, every day, just listening to their music, just kind of on repeat. And that's like really what propelled me into getting into music and Probably the next most vivid memory for me was I was probably one of the first kids I knew who had a computer. My parents worked for Intel, and so I was the first person I knew who had Napster. So that's when the game really changed for me with music just because I felt like there was now just so much content at my disposal to just soak up. Like me and a bunch of friends became dead set on trying to find as much of this music before it came out as possible. And it kind of became this feather in our cap of, you know, who could get this first. And that was really, I guess, my first real interest in kind of, I guess, if you want to call it the A&R space of music, of just finding talent, so to speak. 
Well, also, it's funny how our, our minds uh, were the same and different because I think you had the music discovery piece. I realized the hustle of like, you know, I'm the $5 CD guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so give me a mix of your favorite songs and uh, I, I, maybe five bucks and you get the next day. So I had a little CD hustle with my, uh, my burner first time I got it. So what was your first job uh, in the music industry? My first job, um, there was a music venue in Anaheim, California. It was called Chain Reaction. Okay. Kind of picture it like the West Coast version of CBGB. Okay. You know, real hole-in-the-wall place. We probably slammed like 500 kids in this place that was really meant for two or 300 people. So you'd pack the brim. Um, and it was predominantly rock music, hardcore metal bands and I was the light guy there one of my high school friends he uh his dad ran the place and one day he asked if I wanted a job and I was like sure I don't know anything about lighting but you know I press some buttons I make a band look cool in a strobe light and uh that was it so I started there when I was probably 16 years old before that you know like I was in a lot of terrible bands you know like I pl- I've played guitar my entire life and uh, I was also a guitar technician, so I was kind of like this 14, 15-year-old kid on the road with bands who were, you know, had some self-destructive tendencies and being a, you know, a teenager kind of witnessing that and also just doing a lot of photography. Um, it was interesting watching all these bands just kind of, uh, you know, what it took them to get up on stage. Right. And this job at this place, Chain Reaction, was kind of, you know, for me, it's like, oh, so I can still be in this and get paid for it. Like it was kind of like the best thing ever for me at the time. What was the turning point in making you transition from wanting to be in a band uh, to being behind the scenes? Was there like, a turning point moment or? I knew I couldn't write songs. <laughs> it like literally boiled down to that. The first thing I ever A&R'd was myself because I loved playing music. I loved listening to music, but I knew when I sat down to write stuff, when I would finish it, I was like, this isn't good. Like, I personally would not listen to this music. And I wrote enough of those songs to be like, this just this just isn't for me. I grew up on bands like The Misfits and like, you know, really kind of gritty punk rock music. And, you know, over the years, that music taste has kind of morphed into a lot of metal music and then alternative music. And it's interesting now, I work in a very heavy pop space Still a lot of alternative and rock stuff, but, you know, throughout my life and career, I've gone through a lot of different genre changes, so to speak, mm-hmm. just because I think in today's day and age, like, you just have to be a chameleon right. with what you listen to. And if you're going to work in music, like, at least for me, like, I like to be as well-rounded as possible with as many genres as you possibly can be. Kind of young in my life, I was really able to see and experience all these different types of music. And since I was working there so much, like I really kind of got this knack for what bands were really resonating with crowds and what they were doing that seemed to really work. And even more importantly, I would see bands come and play their first shows where there would be like five or 10 of their friends there. Then they would come back a year later and there was 50 to 100 people. And you'd fast forward, you know, two, three years, and they would just pack this place out. And I'm like, okay, like, I've witnessed this band go from nothing to here they are. What about them has kind of set them apart from everybody else? And I think that was always one of the most intriguing things for me is those 
kind of early days for a band and what it takes to actually break a band. Yeah. Because everybody is so accustomed to like, oh, cool, like Justin Bieber, Shawn Mendes, you know, like all these A-list artists, you know, they're just always in your face. They're always at the top of the charts. They're always on TV. And nobody really thinks too much about like, what did it take for them to like even get into a scenario or position for them to even have a remote, remote chance of succeeding? Yeah. And I always loved to some degree feeling like I was a part of that journey or at least witnessing those different stages. And that's what I really kind of got out of working at that place. And that was my first taste of working in music. And uh, I think that kind of shaped the fabric of why for me, I love working so much with developing acts, early acts, and really putting the pieces around them to essentially set them up for their best chance of success. What led the kid who loves music to, you know, working at a music venue, doing lighting, to becoming an A&R? Like, what was the next step? Yeah, I guess the turning point for me was there was a guy who I worked with there who started around the same time I did, and uh, he... Started as a bouncer, worked his way up to being the booking agent, and I kind of heard through the grapevine that he was starting to scout for a record label, and I was like, man, that's so cool. Like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I just find bands, and I show them to the record label, and we make a judgment call on if we want to sign this band. And I was just like, that's like the best job in the world. So you literally just look for music, and you sign bands to record deals. And that like blew my mind. The first band I ever sent him was this band called The Naked and Famous. They're this band from New Zealand. You know, they ended up selling a ton of records. Uh, I think they had like a gold single here in the U.S. And band had like had nothing going on. And I sent him to him and he was like, wow, this is really good. It made me feel like I was a part of the process and like I might be involved in trying to sign a band that I like loved. And these were all bands before like they ended up really taking off and exploding. So that was really my first taste into it. And after a while, you know, they kind of brought me on as a scout. And uh, I think during that whole process, um, I was scouting for this label called Roadrunner Records. And I was getting flown out to New York probably, I want to say like every other week. And uh, it kind of just got to this point where I was just like, man... I just, I just need to be here. Like, this is where my journey's taking me. And I literally got a phone call from, you know, the president of the company and was like, hey, there's an opening. You would have to be, you'd have to literally start in a week and you have to let us know. And I think it was two days. And I was in New York in a week. Wow. Yeah. And I'd lived in California my entire life. I, the thought of even moving across the country had never once crossed my mind whatsoever, but it was just like, I got to do it. And so, <clears throat> um, a lot at A&R is a very sexy role, you know, it's like a, like the GM for a baseball <laughs> team, you know, everyone wants to be Theo Epstein. Uh, what is your day to day like as an A&R? My day to day. So I work in the publishing space, which a lot of people don't know what music publishing is. You know, it's essentially like we own the copyrights to a lot of bands. We represent a lot of singers, or sorry, we represent a lot of songwriters. We represent a lot of producers. 
and we also sign bands, and then we also pitch music for commercials, music you hear on TV, you know, that's all acquired through us. And historically speaking, publishers have had this very passive um, role in music. You know, the thing that always gets the most attention is record labels. You know, that's the big sexy get. You know, every band wants to sign to a record label, but nobody realizes that record labels is kind of one side of the coin. The other side is publishing. And it's always kind of been perceived that publishing is kind of just a big paycheck that you get. And the publisher gets, you know, to represent your music and they get to take their cut and they kind of just disappear into the background. But very, the tides have kind of changed now where publishing has become a lot more creatively active with a lot of artists. And so many of today's huge songs are really put together by music publishers now because we essentially are the gatekeepers for all the writers and producers that are writing and producing all these massive, huge songs. And essentially, you know, I have my roster of writers and producers. I set them up with one another to collaborate with each other. So essentially every day for me consists of setting up these writing sessions between our people and also taking those songs and pitching them to bigger artists. Okay. And on top of that, there's also time out of my day where I have to always be on the prowl for new talent. And you always got to be on the lookout for, uh, you know, the next Max Martin, essentially. And so a lot of my days is kind of juggling these ses- sessions, pitching these songs to big artists, looking for new talent, and also just taking a lot of meetings with record labels and you know, just music industry folk to keep them informed of what I'm doing and also what I'm working on. Because, you know, so many record labels are now just thirsting for all these songs now. Because, you know, for me personally, like, I love a good artist who can really write their own music and they have their own identity. And But you'd be surprised, like, so many of, like, the world's biggest artists now are pretty much just exclusively taking outside songs now. They're literally getting thousands of songs sent to them and sifting through all these songs and they're like okay i like this one this one this one okay that one's going to be my single this one's going to be the second single wow you know and it, it's really this like the catalog it's a catalog yeah it's so it, it's wild and you know it's everyone is gunning for all these big artists and you know everyone's chasing trying to get a song placed on justin bieber everyone's trying to get the selena gomez single and you know they're getting sent so much music and uh kind of where i see always myself fitting into this whole thing is you know music now has become so global and people are finding out about you know the new hot artists in australia almost instantly now and so for me you know i think there's so many people that focus on this small group of 10 artists in the United States and they're like, Oh man, we gotta, we gotta get our songs on these artists. It's like, dude, there's so many huge artists around the world. It's like, like you kind of got to think a lot, you know, way bigger. Yeah, exactly. And also too, it's just a lot of things that work in the U S may not work internationally. And sometimes I guess the, the bigger prize is trying to place it with somebody who's bigger internationally. Right. You know, I think one of 
a story that I love to tell kind of from a recent example is um, we publish this artist. His name's Bipolar Sunshine. He's a UK hip-hop pop artist. And, you know, he was coming over to New York to write for his artist project because he was working on new music. So he came over. We set him up in a bunch of writing sessions. We put him with one of our great producers whose name is Alias. He also did um, Eminem's Monster. Okay. So they came out with this really fantastic song that was called Middle. And he was like, I love this song, but, you know. Love that record. Love that record. record. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Like, you know, I don't personally see this as an artist track for me. And we're like, that's cool. You know, like, let's try to find a home for this. And so we ended up pitching it to DJ Snake. And he absolutely loved the record. And he decided to keep Bipolar Sunshine on as the feature on it. You know, that song became this huge song, and I don't think people realize, like, it's completely changed things for him. And, you know, that entire vocal was done in, like, the producer's, you know, apartment studio. Wow. You know, it, it wasn't done in this, like, crazy, insane studio that you always kind of imagine it to be. So a lot of these records now are, are really coming from uh, the simplest of places, so to speak. And I think that's one of the most things, one of the most interesting things about the current state of music for me right now is a big song can literally come from wherever. But on the flip side of that, I think the most scariest part of music right now is the sheer volume of music that's coming out right now. It's, it's scary. And everybody can make an amazing sounding record in their bedroom now, which has led to just kind of this insane saturation of music that's out right now and even for me for somebody who's like constantly looking for music every single day thinking about it just from your normal listener standpoint you know there's just literally thousands of new artists that are coming out every day thousands of new songs tens of thousands of new songs that are coming out every single day and trying to keep up with the amount of sheer volume and it it makes sifting through it and trying to determine who stands out from the crowd a thousand times harder from an artist's perspective, is it smarter for an artist now to be independent but work with a publisher? Great question. Love that question. You know, I think 
to some degree I have a bias because sure I'm a publisher. Um, I personally like signing acts early. Personally, I think it's super beneficial to do a publishing deal even before you do a record deal. The reasoning being the simplest, you kind of get money in your pocket straight from the get-go. I think publishers in general give the artist a little bit more time and flexibility to find their own identity. Yeah. Whereas essentially, if you sign a record deal, you're on the clock. Like You have officially begun your music career as that artist. And the pressure's intense. You need the hit. You know, like, if you don't have a big song by X date, you're going to get dropped. Whereas I think from a publishing standpoint, it's a little bit more loose and flexible. And, you know, if you want to collaborate and work with other people, you know, the publisher has those resources to kind of put you in the room with the right people. And a lot of publishing deals are getting very creative now. You know, it's like, Oh, you need you need a travel budget? Like you you want to go to Los Angeles to write music? Let's build that into the deal. Oh, like you need a production budget? Let's build that into the deal. So a lot of our, like a lot of the artists I work with, you know, I've if, like a perfect example, you know, I co-signed this artist named Bryce Fox who we signed him with this com- great company called Primary Wave. We signed him before any music was released. Uh, fantastic music, great manager. You know, his manager also works with Phoebe Ryan, uh, Emily Warren, who's on that Friendship Record Capsize. Mm-hmm. Uh, this other writer, Scott Harris, who's Sean Mendez's right-hand guy. Um, you know, we just love the team. We love the music. And, you know, we're kind of in the process right now of trying to find him a record deal. And because we did the publishing deal early, we kind of gave him the resources to, you know, be able to you know, put some money in his back pocket, be able to get into the room with some great writers and producers, craft his sound without all this crazy pressure of like having to deliver like right at the gate. And, you know, I think he's very set up now to like, you know, potentially be on like a very big successful record label. And those are the projects that I love because, you know, you can really get in early and help craft the sounds you develop the relationship with the artist where you get to a position of where they really trust you. Where I think on the flip side, and this isn't always the case, but you know, a lot of bands will do their record deal and then they go to do a publishing deal. And at that point, you know, it's like they see the record label as their squad. Like these are my creative partners. Cool. Let me just do the publishing deal where sometimes it gets overlooked that no, the, the, publishing company can really add some great value to your career that maybe your record label can't but like you've just automatically locked in that the record label is your creative team and are purely just looking at publishing as a paycheck and i've seen a lot of artists you know go down that route where they have fantastic team at publishing at a publishing company who are suggesting all these amazing ideas giving fantastic feedback on songs but it just goes in one ear and out the other because they're like, oh, well, I don't know. My record label, like, they they don't want me, like, doing that. Wow. You know? And it's tough, you know? It's a lot of, like, push and pull. And like I kind of touched on earlier, the creative role of publishers is is increasing now. And, you know, I think early artists is kind of this nice proving ground, even for ourselves, to really step in and and take charge and help these artists kind of craft their sounds. So when they do blow up, 
you know, the artist can always go back and be like, yo, you helped get me to this point. I, I want to keep you on as kind of like, you know, you know, somebody that's in my corner creatively. Right. Cause you know, there's a lot of situations where they'll do a huge record deal and the publisher kind of just gets kicked to the curb. It's like, okay, I got my A&R at my label now. They're the real creative person. It's like, well, what the hell? Like, we were the ones that got you to this great point. Right. So it's, it's, it's always a different scenario. It's always very different with every artist. You know, it's, uh, I think what it always just boils down to, just for me personally, is just building as much trust with the artist, with the manager, and just making yourself try to be as indispensable as possible. Now, also, too, with going back to the oversaturation piece uh, in music, I would imagine you would get a lot of submissions or music coming your way. Uh, who is a liaison between you and hearing that music? Is there a an agent or a manager of an artist comes to you and says, hey, uh, you know, I have this dope record. Does this dope record get funneled to you through a manager that has a relationship with you firsthand? Or It's interesting. Like, the whole idea of submitting your music to a record label or a publisher, you know, I think you kind of have this picture in your mind as, you know, you put a, a CD or I guess more of a relevant thing is a flash drive in the mail or trying to figure out their email address to send it to them. You'd be surprised. Like, I don't get too many, I guess, blind emails from people with just music. Um, you know, I have, like, manager friends that I know or friends of friends who were able to get my email address and they'll send me like a Dropbox link or a SoundCloud link and, you know, ask for my opinion on stuff. Most of that stuff doesn't, I don't think I've ever really found anything like very promising from just getting kind of one of those random emails. You know, I'm more of a get in the trenches, dig through the internet, try to find the random thing, you know, out of, out of the middle of nowhere. That's when I like, re- like really enjoy. I will say the one of the most recent examples of me kind of just getting a blind email that panned out to be a great opportunity. Uh, me and one of my coworkers got this email from a manager who I was unfamiliar with. And uh, she was like, Hey, I have this artist in New York. His name's Eero. And uh, here's some of his stuff. And it was great. It was just really fantastic music. And we were like, let's put him in the room with some of our people. So we ended up putting him in with one of our producers, wrote this amazing song um, that's going to be Robin Schultz's next single. And he's like going to be the feature on it. Wow. You know, it's going to be a huge like international record. And uh, it's it, it totally came out of nowhere, you know, and he they ended up writing this great, fantastic song. And to add to that, like those are the things I personally love working on are kind of the ideas that don't really make sense on paper. You know, I think there's so many people that work in this industry that are all about the discography. They're all about the resume. Like, okay, who is this writer? What has he done? Like, what hit songs does he have? Don't even bother to listen to like their music. They're just like, what has he done? And if he hasn't done anything, I don't care. Where for me, it's like, it's far less about that. Like, obviously, like, I like working with people who have a proven track record. But, you know, I think there is, everybody in today is always searching for something different. Everybody wants the next biggest sound. And, you know, the biggest songwriters in the world have figured out how to adapt to that. 
but the majority haven't figured it out. And the reason I love working with the new, like new talent or cause it's so untainted creativity, you know, it's just pure, it's different, it's new, you know, you're, you're kind of hearing something new for the fresh time. And I think th- that's why, you know, sessions like the one I just described, like really worked out. And I think it, it resonated with getting the song place is because it's an idea that didn't, doesn't really make sense. And do you think that being an A&R, being an A&R for a publishing company versus a label allows you that freedom, allows you that freedom to say, you know what, like let's, this, this doesn't typically work or let me take a risk on this artist. Um, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, before I, cause I currently work at, at BMG music publishing and before this I was at Atlantic records and I remember I had a meeting with our now head of BMG us, his name's Zach Katz. And you know, it was really one of the first times I had a conversation with like a, you know, a higher up music executive of, of just like, look, you know, publishing world is kind of like a kid being in a candy store. You can work with rock bands, you can work with EDM producers, you can work with pop writers, you know, like you can really work the full spectrum of what you want to work on. Whereas at a label, like you kind of got to like pick your lane, you know, sure. Like there's more established people who can kind of take their chances and like, oh, you know, I'm an alternative guy, but I'm going to roll the dice on this hip hop artist. Yeah. You know, you don't really hear of stories like that. Or in the publishing world, you know, I work with people who have like alternative acts and, you know, have a few hip hop artists, you know, even on my roster, it's like, I have a ton of pop writers. I have like a very prominent heavy rock producer. I kind of just run the gambit of it. And it's exciting to me just because I love living in so many different music spaces because I understand so many genre worlds and kind of adding to that, it's allowed me to kind of blur those borders between all those genres and have them kind of working together and trying things that, like I said, may not make sense on paper. But since I operate in so many different spaces, you know, like, it's like, well, why don't we take this, like, hip-hop artist? Let's put him with this, like, EDM producer. Let's just kind of see what happens, you know? And those are the times where you actually get something special because it just, it's not supposed to make sense. Wow. You know, and I think those are where some of the biggest, not only the biggest records come from, but the records that actually, like, stick around. You know, the record that you're still going to listen to in 10 years, you know, where I think a lot of the stuff that comes and goes really quickly is all the very formulaic, antiquated, um, you know, A hit songwriter plus B hit songwriter equals C hit. You know, that song will be like number one for a few weeks, you know, and to a lot of people that's a huge win, obviously, but is that song going to stand the test of time? Is that, how long is that song really going to like stay hot for? Right. So Which comes, is very important for publishing. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and sure, you know, from a publishing standpoint, there's a lot of unsigned writers on huge songs, and those things just turn into, like, a crazy bidding war. You know, every everybody's going after them. And obviously, like, those people need publishers. They need to get represented. But, like, I kind of like, like I mentioned, kind of finding the... Uh, person that not everyone's looking at you know the person who hasn't had like the big hit song yet but if you do a b and c they'll get their hit song yeah okay. you know and 
I uh, there's a few writers who I've worked who I've like signed before they had any placements on their music. And sure, you know, it takes time. It takes probably like I'd say a conservative estimate would be like a year of just like really getting them in the right rooms, crafting their sound, and you get them to a point where it's like, wow, like this is night and day difference from what you first started doing. You can you can kind of hang with the top songwriters now. And from the business end of that, you know, the the deal is a lot more favorable to the publisher. You're not really breaking the bank. You know, it's a lot lower risk. So you're able to really take that time to develop the sound. Wow. And so uh, to, to wrap this up, uh, I'd like to ask the question of what artist uh, do you think coming up we should be listening now for that you're a big fan of? There's an artist called Rationale. It's a UK artist. Um, it's actually one of our writers turned artist. And the music is just fantastic. I mean, I guess a simplification of the type of sound it would kind of fall under is... You know, kind of in that Sam Smith vein. Okay. Like, well, Disclosures latch with Sam Smith. It kind of fits that, uh, I guess, sonic sound. Okay. Keep an eye out for that. Rationale. I, I think that's definitely got a, a killer shot. Well, awesome, man. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, you're, man. You're the man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me over. This is awesome. You know, we got lots of football to watch today. So, yeah, it goes the rest of my day. <laughs> Take care, my man. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.